Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. Ryan and Corey here with another episode for you. If this is your first time joining the Weekly Juice, welcome. During our shows, we interview successful entrepreneurs and investors to spread knowledge, advice, and actionable tactics to help others in the pursuit of financial freedom. We discuss successes, failures, systems, motivation, experiences, and key lessons that they've learned along the way. So tune in every Wednesday and get your Weekly Juice. I love that, man. Nice. Well, today... Honestly, phenomenal episode. I know we say that. We do Probably say that every episode we say it's phenomenal, but this one was different. This it was one? it was not our normal that shit hit different. <laughs> <laughs> it was not our normal episode in terms of like just the fl- the flow of it. And we talked about something that honestly Ryan and I are not very well equipped on. Like we don't know a lot about it, node investing. And but let me tell you who does know a lot about node investing. Scott Carson. Amazing. Dude's he- a Okay. Entrepreneur, real estate investor, podcast and radio host, but also like a literally defines the word connoisseur for note investing. Yep. He knows every single thing about it. He wrote a book about it. He has a podcast about it. He has a blog about it. And he's, I think he almost 15 billion in assets he's purchased. I don't know that that's the number, but he's over a thousand, over a thousand deals he's purchased. And a lot of people might be thinking, I don't even know what node investing is. It sounds weird. I don't like that's what that was me. I was like, ah, I'm not really into it. And then after he explains it, I'm like, he's the bank. Like this guy is literally the bank and he essentially helps people not foreclose on their property and he makes residual income from it. Like you guys got to listen to this one. It's it was really good and it kind of shifted. I don't think that I'm necessarily going to dive all the way into note investing, but it's something I'm certainly interested in. So it, it may be your real estate niche. Exactly. We, we always talk about buy and hold and right. And that's like a, I guess a common theme in, in our podcast. This one is just a different avenue and way to invest. And he, he says it's not for everybody, but he'll walk, he walks through the steps essentially on how to get started. If this is something that you're interested in, it's a way to increase your passive income monthly, you have to obviously set up systems just as you would a rental business. But he's invested in, in rentals and in apartments in um, fix and flips, a bunch of different things. And he said, hey, this, he is, found his niche. this is my niche. And there's, it's not a huge market for it. Or there is a huge market for it, but not a lot of people are doing it. Exactly. And it, he's been doing it for 20 years. He, this is the guy who went through the Great Recession, owned real estate, kind of got turned upside down and had to reinvent himself. And my God, did he reinvent himself. Like It's... It's, it's, uh, we should just stop talking and jump in. Let's jump in. Um, so Scott, if you could kind of just give a brief introduction about yourself, um, yeah. who you are, where you're from and what you uh, do professionally. Sure. And, uh, my name is Scott Carson. I'm known across the country as the note guy. Uh, the last 12 years I've been focused on the niche of buying distressed debt, distressed mortgages in the note space. On uh, by buying debt on residential commercial properties and working to try to keep the borrowers in place if we can by either modifying or doing trial payment plans with the borrowers. If they won't work with us, we'll go to one other liquidation strategy before we have to go to foreclosure. But um, that's what I do, man. I, ca- I call Austin, Texas home, hook them horns, 
we talked beforehand. I am a Cowboys fan, but unfortunately, we're kind of That's, crying in our beer. We almost shut the year. podcast off right there, but we'll we have listeners from all over. It's all good. Let's, let's get That's right. It. That's right. So, but yeah, that's, that's what I did. I, I, you know, um, I got into real estate back in 2002 after you know I, was, I graduated college. Was a big fan of Flip This House and you know all the 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 reality non real shows out there. Uh, bought a couple of investment properties if we bought a primary, and then the market switched here in Austin and lost my ass. I got laid off at the same time, so I was trying to make you know three first mortgages and three second mortgages on a private school teacher salary. So that didn't go very far. Wow. And I uh, was able to short sell off the two investment properties, keep our primary, lick my wounds for about two years. Uh, got into banking and uh, was banking with JP Morgan Chase as a banker and opened about 20 different branches. And then in 2004, a buddy of mine was starting a mortgage company with another investor and his, his spouse. And they were traveling the country teaching creative financing and fixing flip strategies, you know, uh, every other weekend, they were part of the Ron Legrand network out there okay. back in the day. And so I, for, I said, this is what I want to do. So from 2004 to 2008, while we run the mortgage company, just making a, a ton of money doing mortgages for investors, I was basically at a four year apprenticeship where I le- learned that creative financing side, how to buy debt at a discount, how to work it out. And then when the, uh, the music stopped with the great recession in 2008, and I, I left the origination side and just started dialing for dollars, calling banks and asset managers and tracking down whether it was a one-off mortgage on a mobile home or a portfolio of like 300 assets and commercial properties from Capital One. That's what I started doing and sharing my journey on Facebook lives and blogs. And uh, in 2010, I'd gone through a divorce and, and uh, uh, stopped, you know, was out my own and I said, well, you know, I'm a big baseball fan. You know, I was getting ready to start a baseball season. So I kind of planned this mythical journey to travel the country and, and go to all 30 parks. And in uh, divine intervention, I had about six to seven different investment clubs, including one there in Philadelphia, reach out to me and say, hey, we see your blogs. We see your articles that you're sharing. Would you like to come speak to our group? I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. What do you want me? Oh, that's how yeah. That's how it works. And those seven real estate clubs, when they wanted me to come all lined up when I would have been in that town to see the, the, the a ball game. And so I was like, okay, perfect. perfect. Exactly. So sold everything I owned in Austin, Texas, the house had two weekends worth of garage sale, sold everything, except my dog and my truck and some clothes and uh, jumped in. And what I thought would be 30 weeks turned in over three and a half, four years of traveling, basically nonstop. And so um, wow. really kind of built a, a grassroots kind of following, not only buying notes, but showing others how to do what I do. And, uh, you know, flash forward now, 2014, I was the note educator of the year. Uh, I've bought over a billion dollars in distressed debt, you know, closed on thousands of deals and uh, getting very excited at what the new year holds with everything going on with the craziness of COVID and defaults and, you know, people being laid off of work and businesses closing. And so I think we're, we're no matter what type of real estate, if you're hanging around and focus on things, I think this next year is going to be an opportunity of a lifetime. So it's incredible. That was a lot. (laughs) That was a lot. I was going to go ahead. Just want to break it down. So you seem like you're on step seven here. 70. 70. Yeah. Quite possibly 80. (laughs) Um, Can you just break it down and start as super basic as a note? Like what, how does someone invest in a note? What is a note? And just work us up the ladder here. Yeah. So everybody's in the note business, whether you believe it or not, you're just on the wrong side of the payment streams. Okay. So if you've got a car payment, the student loans, house, car debt, you know, credit cards, whatever, you're in the, the note business, but you're on the payment side. The idea is to be on the receivable side, okay? So when I buy a note, that's a mortgage. So I'm buying a, a first mortgage is usually what I'm buying about 99% of the time. 
I'm buying that directly from banks and lending institutions to become the bank. Now I'm buying uh, mortgages usually where the borrower has not made a payment and usually at least six months, sometimes up to six years. And so the bank or the lending institution that's holding this debt is willing to sell that IOU off or that receivable off at a huge discount that I can, you know, they owe a hundred, but they sell it to me for 20 grand. Now I become the bank and then I make my money by reaching out to, you know, Joe and Joe Smith and saying, Hey, you know, you, you, you've been through a country Western song, you got laid off, whatever happened, talk to me. Let's try to work a situation out here to keep you in the house. If you can, if not, let's, let's go a different route. Maybe you need to deed the property over to me and walk away or I'll give you some cash. Or if you're not going to work with me, then I, I get my attorneys involved and we go through the foreclosure route. So basically I'm buying a mortgage at a discount to, to hold on for cash flow. I don't want to own the property, even though I do end up with it quite a bit of the time. I become the bank and I make my money by modifying it or creating uh, payment streams by working with the borrowers. Okay. So the question that I have here, is this completely privatized in the sense that you can come up with the rate? Like how do those rates work with when you, or, or else if the rate, if the, if let's say the mortgage rates 3.2%, you can't offer 4% because they would just go to a bank. I'm like, I'm so he, here's what you, here, so. that's okay. So don't worry, forget the mortgage rate, the interest rate on the mortgage. If somebody okay. hasn't paid their mortgage, it doesn't make a damn bit if it's 1% or 6%, yeah. right? Right, right. So I'll give you an example. So like I just bought this uh, note a few weeks ago, borrower owed 120 grand. Their house was maybe worth 110. Okay. They hadn't paid in nine months. Okay. The lending institution was willing to sell me that note at 50 cents of as is value. Okay. So the house is worth, like I said, 110. I paid 55 grand for it. All right. I paid for the note. The borrower still owed 120 grand. Okay. Now the note was at roughly 6% interest rate. Okay. So I, we bought the note. We reach out to the borrower. Hey, what happened? He's laid off of work. Okay. You're nine months behind. Could you start making your mortgage payment right now? He's like, do I have to come up with a nine months? I'm like, no, no. Can you start making the payment? To use? Yeah, I'm back to work. I said, okay, let's do that. Let's have you start paying your existing payment. If you pay on time for 12 months, I'll forgive that nine months of stuff. Okay. So if we run the numbers here, if I'm, he's at 6%, but I bought the note at 50 cents on the dollar but he, now he starts paying on time. It's like, I've got a 12% cash and cash return Yep. because he starts, now I could drop it down. I could reduce the interest rate a little bit if I wanted to, if he's at a higher rate or I could stair step it up. So, okay, start F2, bump it to three, bump it to four. I can get really creative on what I do. I can get forgive back payments. You know, I could say, Hey, can you bring some skin to the game? You know? And so it gets, it gets really creative on that by being able to work with a borrower in some sort of fashion. And correct me if I'm wrong, you don't care about the previous nine months because the bank owned it then, right? No, no, no. The bank did not. The bank owned the mortgage. That's, that's, Got that's, it. so, and so, I, well, I do because that's why it's upside down. The borrower right. still owes that 120. Got it. Okay. Yep. And so that's why it's important to me. It's like, okay, you owe more than the property's worth. You know, it's different if they have a lot of equity, then they're going to try to fight me to stop foreclosure. But sure. you know, I'm going to go like, listen, instead of you moving out and taking and trying to rent a place, you have to put, put up, you know, two months of, uh, deposits and utilities, take that two grand or three grand. Let's put it towards what you owe. Let's keep your kids in school. Let's keep you in the house because if they pay on time for 12 months at the end of 12 months, it's considered a reperforming note. I could sell that note back to the, the market or to other investors at like 85, 90% of the value of the house. So I made 12 months of payments or I got 12 months of payments. Plus I got another 35 to 40% so on the back notes. end. 
you can flip notes all day long. Heck, I could buy a note today. If I bought it cheap enough, I could flip it tomorrow for a wholesale fee. So you can wholesale notes like you can property too. Pretty cool. This is insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my brain is chugging along here trying to figure <laughs> this all out. So let me just walk it back a little bit. So you, you purchased this for 50 grand um, from or 55 grand from the, from the bank. When you purchase that from them, are you done? Is the bank out and it's just you? And then the, it's, uh, the, the bar is still there. The bank is gone. The bank got their 55 because now they can take that 55 and go leverage it and make up what they lost. Okay? But they're eating the rest. They're like, what, like whatever he has. They're, they're taking a loss on their books. They're, they're yes. taking a, a loss in their books. Correct. But I didn't, I'm not taking a loss. I'm just buying. It's like going into, uh, like going in a, you know, into a clothing store. This shirt was worth 100, but it's on the clearance rack for 50. The bank, mm-hmm. you know, the seller wants to get off their books. It's still a $100 shirt, right? Now, are you gonna? Are you going to essentially charge these the new the same uh, the person that owned the house right that I guess foreclosed the borrower, the borrower yeah. excuse me are you gonna charge them the price that they would pay monthly for the for the fifty five to just to make your fifty five are you trying to get the one ten no. no their 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 terms stay the same so their a normal payment on say a hundred thousand maybe eight hundred bucks that, that hasn't changed I bought. The debt exactly as it is. Now I will work with a borrower to see what they can't afford or can't afford. And, and there's numbers that I'll drop it down to or adjust, but there's other things that I want to adjust. Like if more, like a, I'll give an example, say their mortgage payment was say 1200 bucks, but rent is 900. Then I would drop it down to 900 cause that's in line with the market. Right. But if their mortgage payment's 900, but market rents 1200, like I'm not going to drop the, the mortgage payment down cause you'd be paying more out in the open market. So pay me, you know, you know, pay, you know, stay, uh, you know, but stay in the house. You know, it, it, it makes more sense for me because now I don't have to pay attorney fees to foreclose. And we all know that can vary in state by state. Pennsylvania is a little bit longer state than, than others, but then I also don't have to redo repairs. Somebody's living in a house, taking care of it. That's a good thing for me. So you almost don't even care. Like, Hey, if these guys can't pay, I just got a huge discount on this mortgage. I'm going to be able to fill it with other renters or potentially even. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not renting the property. They're borrowers. I had to, to take the property back from them. I would have to foreclose. Yep. So then I, and then it becomes a foreclosure. If I can either sell it at the auction or I could take the property back and then rent it out. If I want to sell it, you know, full value owner finance the property. If I want to, Got That's it. fine. Sorry, you're the you totally do that. I get it yeah. yeah, I'm just, yeah. It's, it's just, it's, the cycle is crazy. It's new very to, normal, new very normal questions you're asking. Very normal yeah. questions, man. And there's certain portions of the United States where it would, it would seem to me that these foreclosures are happening all over the place. Are there certain areas that note investing lends itself better to somebody like you than other areas? Just about everywhere. <laughs> yeah, here's right? The, here's That's what the, I would here's, think. Well, for the most part, um, like New York, New Jersey, like in New York, it takes you to hire an attorney, to have an attorney, to talk to an attorney. Okay. It's ridiculous. To, it's like over two years to foreclose in New York. It doesn't really make a lot of sense unless you're getting it really, really cheap. New Jersey also has a very long foreclosure time frame as well. And so when you're, when I get these lists, like, uh, and then here's the, here's the three things why I love note investing is one, we do zero direct mail. Uh, I'm dealing directly with asset managers at banks via LinkedIn and email and phone calls. And so uh, one source, one bank, it becomes a, a resource for me every month or every quarter. And so that's the beautiful thing. I may get one asset this quarter, but I may get a hundred next quarter. I had a, a lending institution out of New York send me a list of 900 that I can cherry pick from. And the prices all across the board depend on how far behind they are, what state it's in, the value, what they owe. So there's a lot of due diligence. We have to look at the spreadsheet, but it's a numbers based thing. I make a bid, 
they'll accept it or counter back. If they accept it, then we dive into deeper due diligence. You know, we'll pull property values, we'll pull a title report. We'll make sure to have somebody drive by the property because we can't see inside if somebody's living in it, you know. Um, we'll look at the uh, the loan file to make sure everything's clear on the collateral and the, and the disclosures and all the documents. Um, we'll talk to the servicing company, the person who is, you know, the company that's been calling the borrower, trying to get them to pay. Were they friendly? Did they tell them to F off? Uh, do they want to try to do a loan mod? Do they want to try to do a short sale? So we evaluate the borrower really more so than the property. The property is important. I don't want to buy a note on a property that I wouldn't want to end up owning, Sure. you know, or it's a, it's a piece of shit. You know what I mean? But, um, that's the thing is it's, we see deals six to 12 months ahead of most investors because we see it well before the foreclosure auction. We're not spending a lot of money on the upfront marketing side besides just dialing for dollars or emails. And then the discounts are a lot better for us because we're taking on kind of a tr the problem children of the bank. And we make our money in and kind of turning lemons into lemonade, if that makes sense. One of the major benefits or, or the selling point to, for people to get into notes would be, well, the borrower still owns the house. You don't have maintenance. You don't have capital expenditures unless you end up being yep. the owner, correct? correct? But I guess, uh, would you agree with the fact that in order to get into note investing, do you have to have enough cash up front to be buying these properties from the bank? Because you're, you're not finding the that property. Buy, yeah, you can't go get a note a loan from a bank for a note. A Got hard it. money lender is not going to give you a loan at 70% of LTV. Yeah. So you do need capital and cash or other people's money. And we finance about 95% of our purchases with OPM, other wow. people's retirement funds, self-directed IRAs. Uh, actually, most of the self money in self-directed IRAs, 30% of it's usually making zero, sitting there waiting to be invested in. And then 70% of usually the rest of the money is either invested in buying notes or they've lent the money out on a note. So paper is a very popular thing for an IRA investor. And that's, you know, we get a lot of lazy landlords are tired of property management. We get a lot of uh, REO uh, people that can't find a deal, fixer floppers that don't want to do all the, the rehab themselves because they don't have the time and experience. And so they'd rather buy a note, especially performing note, which is just kind of passive cash flow or even buying a non-performing that's occupied where we can get the bar to start paying on time. Then it's a, a nice payment stream coming in on a monthly basis. You know I mean, no, nobody, nobody ever called the bank when little Timmy flushed his rubber ducky down the toilet at two o'clock yeah. in the morning. They call the landlord, but they don't call the bank. You know what I mean? Yep, yep, exactly. Okay. So say this excites someone and they're like, wow, I, this sounds hands off, sounds passive. I just need to have capital, which I have. How do you suggest someone gets involved? Uh, for, very, you still got to get educated. That's the most important thing in any type of strategy. This is not, you know, I've had fix and flippers that come in the note space and they overbid on assets because they're used to overbidding everybody else. And that's not the case. There's some states you want to avoid. Like I said, New York, New Jersey, you want to avoid Kentucky. Real estate might be a whole lot cheaper Kentucky, but the state requires you to have a million dollar bond. And that's an expensive bond to get. Some states require you to have a specific license like Georgia wants to be a licensed mortgage broker to buy notes there. Other states, um, if you're servicing company and you need to have a third party servicing company who's handling like the borrower outreach, they're mailing the statements to the borrowers, they're collecting money. If your servicer is licensed in a state to collect, then you're covered most of the time. So that's the case in about 30 different states out there, which is where we mostly buy. So you got to get educated. You got to understand it's a different mindset being a banker versus a landlord or a fix and flipper. You have to approach it from the bank side of things and realize, um, I'll give you an example. I had a, a, a realtor buddy of mine, he, so I was listening, like making all these offers, like, whoa, I'm like, well, you're way overbidding. It's like, oh, that'd be a good bid if I get that. It's like, yeah, but you're not going to end up the property. 
you're, you're buying the note and you always assume, especially if it's occupied, that that bar shows up with money to get back on track. You know, they're not, yeah. not every deal is going to be a foreclosure. I've had some deals. I thought, well, I was in foreclose and take the property back. They turned into loan mods where the person started paying on time. Okay. And others where I thought the bar would pay on time and they just went quiet. So we had to foreclose. So you have to evaluate every deal to basically, okay, does it make sense on both sides if they get reperforming or if we have to foreclose? Because it, it, it's, it's bound to happen. If you buy 10 notes, you're probably going to have three to four that the, the bar will start paying on time again. Uh, three to four where the bar will just sign the property over and walk away, or they'll give you like a deed in lieu of foreclosure or cash for keys. And then remain in four to six, you'll probably end up having to go the legal route and foreclose. And, and the foreclosure time frame is different in every state. You have to have an attorney that's licensed in that state to do it. And, uh, you know, it can be fast like here in Texas. You know, we have fast highways, fast foreclosures, 21 days and fast executions. Everything, everything's faster in Texas. <laughs> um, and then you have like, you know, Florida, God's waiting room, which can take you like nine to 18 months. Pennsylvania is about a 12 month time to foreclose unless it's a vacant asset. So you just got to know those God's things. God's <laughs> Florida, God's, God's like waiting that. room. Yeah, yeah, God's exactly. Yeah. So um, can you dive into members of your team specifically for like, going in on a note deal. I know you mentioned attorneys, potential title company, like who's, who's comprised of your team. Very good. Great question. And, and note investing is a lot like being a general manager of a professional sports team. You don't see Jerry Jones out there slinging hot dogs and beers and coaching the Cowboys. He, 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 he's been trying to what do if that he for could, years. He likes control. He, he would if he could. Exactly. That's why he fails. All right. So you're more, I'm more of a general manager. I'm evaluating deals, finding deals and raising capital, but the workout side of things, your most important person or most important uh, vendor is your servicing company. And these are the people that collect payments. They're the ones that are licensed in these different states. They're the ones that are calling the borrowers four times a week or four times a month. You know, uh, they're the ones when they get the borrower on the phones, they're negotiating a loan mod or payment plans or strategies that you dictate to them. So servicing company is really important. You got to have realtors, realtors. You got to know the value of these properties you got it. So we pay realtors to either do BPOs or CMAs or drive-bys for us. If they, uh, we pay them a flat fee to do that. If we end up getting reperforming, if we do end up having to go the foreclosure route, they become the REO agent and, and handle that for us. Um, you need to have a title company uh, that's pulling. Now you're not paying for a, a full title report because you're not going to, you don't need to research the title back to when the property was created. You just need what we call basically a, a two owner uh, report going back to owners because the title was still in effect. It's still good when the note was created. Otherwise the bank wouldn't have uh, approved it. So you need a title company to review what's on title. If there's liens or judgments or other things on there that when you buy the note, you've got to know what's on there, whether you're going to negotiate down or have the bar pay those off. Um, insurance. You need to have an insurance to put force place to, you know, the bar is responsible for property insurance, but they don't put it on there. You have the right to put force place on there and charge them for that as part of that. Uh, real estate attorneys to foreclose in every state. And then, you know, you, you, there's other things coming on uh, along the way. You'll have door knockers, people that will go out and maybe for 85 bucks will knock two or three times to try to negotiate with the bar a little bit more aggressively, I guess you could say, instead of just a phone call. Um, yeah, we have other vendors that will, you know, double check, you know, title for uh, or taxes owed, making sure taxes have been paid. Um, we've got document people that will prepare the documents on uh, whenever you transfer. If I'm selling a document off, there's stuff that's got to be filed to the county called an assignment of mortgage that, you know, it's just transfers. It's like, if I buy a note from Chase, it gets transferred to me. And so I've been assignment problems. The deed stays the same. It just, there's an assignment that shows a, 
Chase is transferring this mortgage to ABC Bank and I bought it from ABC Bank or whatever. So, okay. you know, there's roughly about seven people. I call it the magnificent seven vendors okay. that you usually need to have. And it, it works out really well that way. I'd like to go back to your like why, so to speak, and what, what maybe got you into this and why you're doing all this. Um, because correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you got in the real estate investing game. Do you still own um, buy and holds that uh, uh, any properties at all, or is everything that you do notes? So I, everything starts out as a note. Okay. Everything is all, it started out in the notes for the last eight or nine years. I haven't bought a traditional piece of property in quite some time, unless it was part of a portfolio that I was buying, it was included. Okay. Like I bought a portfolio notes and there was four properties that the bars had already signed the property back to the bank. So I got those as part of it. And then I sold them. I, I keep some things for rentals for a while. If it makes sense. I don't, I don't, I don't like to have rentals across the country. If I'm taking a property back via foreclosure or the borrowers, it's, it's, if it's, if I'm gonna keep it as a rental, it's gotta be in Texas or Florida. Otherwise I'm just going to sell it. The numbers make better sense for me to usually sell it, get my capital back plus all the profit. And now instead of buying one note, I can go back and double or triple buy. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely, Scott. I think the reason why I was asking is because candidly, the people that we talk to for the most part, we have talked to some some more seasoned investors, don't get me wrong, but a lot of them are probably within their first, I'd say, 10 to 20 deals, but a lot of them haven't gone through the Great Recession. Right. I'm wondering... As an investor, that is, I'm wondering, was that the reason? Was the Great Recession the reason that you were like, I can't afford for that to happen again? And is that why you got into the note business in general? So there's two reasons for it. One goes back to 2003 when I was facing foreclosure in my own house. Okay. I was a, I was, I was a deadbeat borrower. I had to do a loan mod on mine and something like that too. So I was like, I, I joke, a, a deadbeat borrower because we were behind. So I have a lot of empathy for the people, the borrowers on these notes that I buy. Like I'm always willing to work with them at first. That's, I, we, hey, we send a letter out and like, hey, we want to work with you. Yeah, We've got an opportunity. Let's, let's make it a win-win here. I can be your best friend or I can be your worst enemy. I'd rather be your friend and keep mm-hmm. you in the house. Okay. So I have a lot of empathy going back to them. Now, what happened in, in 2008, I, it, part of it's got to do that I live in Austin, Texas. Austin's a very competitive market. I had about 25 rentals here in Austin. And then I had some properties that I bought at great prices. And then as the recession hit and the foreclosure started wiping out all the value, I'll give you an example. I lived in a, me my dog and my cat lived in a five bedroom, four bath, 4,400 square foot house, just the, the three of Big us. House. Okay. Big house. When I bought it, I bought, I paid 184 and I borrowed 210 to put some, to update it, carpet and other things into it. Well, in a matter of four months, the value went from over 300 down to 175. Wow. Okay. That's not the type of flips you want. I, you know, I, and I was like, okay, of a flip. it is the opposite. And so I was able to get rid of, I sold my rentals off um, and made some money on those. But my last two flips, I wrote big checks at closing just to be done with them. And I was licking my wounds for a while, trying to figure things out. And then I started getting these leads from reaching out to those that I, you know, used to originate for, started getting leads from them. And two of my mentors, one of my private money lenders had made a lot of money in the eighties during the, the savings and loan scandals by buying debt. He's like, Oh my God, Scott, this is the best time. And then my mentor um, also, he's like, this is the best time. This is an opportunity when it comes around like once every 20 or 30 years to buy this debt. So I just heated what I did. Austin, we've got a big fix and flip market. Everybody loves to wholesale. I wasn't seeing anything that made sense for me long-term. And I was like, I started seeing, okay, I can buy, 10 notes in Columbus, Ohio, for what I would pay for one here in Austin. 
and the rents are 800 if I had to take it back. But that makes a whole lot more sense to leverage off the payments. The mortgage payments are $400, $500 a month. I can bring them in five grand versus, you know, 1200. Yep. You know, and, and be leveraged. So if one deal goes south out of the 10, I still got nine that are performing. And so I just started getting bigger and better deals by buying directly from the banks. I mean, I was buying a year. We talk about God's rating room. I spent like three months in, in South Florida and I bought about 60 condos at like five grand a piece waterfront condos that were originally like a hundred grand. The bank sold me for like five grand and it took me a year and a half to foreclose on them, but they, they rebounded back to 50, 60 grand to the closing, you know? And I was like, I'll do that all day long. Yeah. You know? Uh, and so it was just, everything was on sale. Now I wish it would be that way here is year. We're going to see a big discount on some things. Uh, I don't think we're having as big a, a big discount like we did 12 years ago, but we're going to see stuff because if people haven't paid their mortgage in nine months or 15 months, uh, or the, the commercial properties have been vacant now for six months and nobody's renting them or businesses are closed. The banks have got to offload this debt like they had to do years ago. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. But the biggest thing is that a, I like helping people. I love making money. And this is one great way that I can make money and help people if I, and, and to get the best of both worlds. Yeah, this is, this is pretty incredible. And it's a little bit of a different episode for us, I guess. I don't know if you have a specific question, but I'm curious if, if you could talk a little bit about your systems and how you organize your business, because you talked about the, the seven magnificent seven, which I like, but I'm wondering how do you keep track of the bird dogging of the emails? Is there a specific, I don't even know if you're personally doing that anymore, but is there a specific system that you use to, to, I'm sure there's multiple to keep track of everything. So yeah, when you first start off, most people can handle on their own, maybe 20 deals, maybe 20 notes. Okay. And that's if you got like 10 to 20 hours to put into it. But a lot of people, they're doing, you know, their side hustles, real estate. The most important person, I'm a, I'll scream this from the top of my lungs. For anybody in real estate, the most important person you can have is an assistant. That'll make, having an assistant will make you a hundred grand because wow. they'll do all the stupid shit that you shouldn't be doing. They'll handle the phone calls to the counties. They'll handle getting things recorded for you, the, the reach outs and stuff like that. So there are a couple of systems. We are fond of, uh, you know, our servicing company has a platform that we can log into and literally look at each note, download every, I get a report the fifth of every month, where we at in every deal. And we make adjustments from there. Um, some investors will use like Podio or pipe drive to kind of track what's going on. Yep. Um, uh, Yardy is another platform. that's big on the rental market that uh, we were actually a case study, the beta tester for Yardy to help them with their note side of things, attracting vendors and stuff like that. So, it's important to have systems. I mean, I started off, it was an Excel spreadsheet and sticky notes, you know, against the wall on dates. That's what but I'm you, picturing to start, you know, right? Well, that's what most people do. Uh, mm -hmm. What's sad though, though, is if you're trying to save money and you have that one sticky note that says you got to pay three grand by this date or to avoid a tax sale, that sticky note falls behind your desk. <laughs> it's not great. Sure. It happens <laughs> to everybody. And, but that's the point where you're like, shit, okay, I mean, I'm in the note business, it's a business. It's not a get rich quick scheme. It is a business and you're dealing with consumer debt. You're dealing with, you know, uh, fair debt collection practices, a consumer finance protection bureau. If you're originating owner finance notes, you need to be Dodd-Frank compliant. Since you're buying, since we buy notes, we don't have to worry about that because the note was originally Dodd-Frank compliant when it comes to owner financing. So yeah, you need to have the software. You need to have an assistance, whether it's 10 hours a week or 20 hours a week, they can kind of help you kind of go behind you and, and pick up the pieces for you. As I said before, I spend most of my time looking for deals and raising capital and you know, our podcast stuff that we do helps us market and do both of those. So 
we're realizing very quickly that there's levels to this game. And we figured out that Ryan, Ryan and I are big financial independence people. So we found yep. real estate and we said, real estate is going to be our way to get to financial independence. And we fit. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we, we found that's great. And we figured that, we understand small multifamily. This yeah. is our niche. We're going to dive in. And then we talk to other people that are like, well, first of all, we're at the level, level one where we understand what financial independence is because most of the people don't even know what it is, right? Yeah. The, yeah. the roundabout way of getting to my question is, I think we're good at what we do. Sell me on what is the type of personality or what type of person do you think would be successful at note investing versus or why they should do this versus, you know, buy and hold, buy and hold small multifamily. So there, there's no, it's all independent of people. I've had people, I, I'll make the range joke that engineers have a hard time with a note business because okay. engineers were overanalyze everything. They got to have everything down. And, and it's kind of like, a, you, got, you may be a little older, but my, when I was in my young teens, there was a book series called the choose your own adventure book. You know what I mean? Where you read it and you get to land at one page. Okay. If you want to go this way, go to page seven. If you want to go this other way, go to page 32. Okay. Note investing, when you buy in a non-performing note, it could be re-performer, it could be a non-performer, you may get the bar to do an assumption with somebody else, you may do a short sale. So there's a lot of moving parts in this. So people that suffer from over-analyst paralysis don't need to be in the note business. That's the first thing. Second thing, it all depends on how many hours a week you have to put into this, okay? If you're not comfortable buying something sight unseen where you have a realtor drive by and pull pictures for you, then just stay in your backyard. It's not for everybody. Uh, I've, you know, I've been, I've done just about everything from wholesaling to fix and flips to apartments and, and notes. I've always said that there's a, um, a, a maturation or an evol- investors evolve over time. We all can start off wholesale and bird dogging, right? You go from that to maybe light rehabs, you know, you know, just paint and carpet. Then you go to heavier rehabs and then you go in the commercial space and then you go in the lending space. Well, in the note space, you're really in the lending space without originating. You're just buying somebody else's nightmare and turning it into a dream. So, um, if you, if you, uh, you, when, um, not every deal, every deal we get is a deal. That's another thing. Um, we get, we see a lot of realtors. I'll get a list in a 300. They, they started to think, Oh, there's 300 deals there. I'm like, no, it's not. What's your strategy. If your strategy is that you want to, leave your job in say a year or two and you need six grand coming in okay notes can be a great way for you to do that in 12 months you need roughly 12 deals bringing in 500 a month that means you probably have to make 120 offers over the next 12 months that means you've got a market like anything else you've got to do with phone calls linkedin so i always tell people what are your goals if you like that control freak where you want to pick out paint and carpet then, then fine, do that. Notes are not like that. If you would like the interaction of landlords and, and dealing with that to what's on chance, great. We get a lot of landlords that are tired of that aspect, tired of dealing with people, tired of the property management. So they come on the site because it's much more passive for them. Um, we get a lot of um, landlords that are looking for more deals that they can't find on the MLS or through bandit signs. And they'll get in the note space and, and, and try to identify some banks or land institutions that lend in that state. And they use that to kind of grow their rental portfolio. We don't see a lot of success that way. If somebody's trying to do three or four things at once, because right. it's a strategy and it's different systems and you can't, can't plug and play a rental system into a, a, um, a note system. If that makes sense. To, to that exact point, 
I think analyzing the numbers and analyzing deals is completely different from the rental by oh, yeah. long-term rentals to, to notes. Can you dive into that and explain the differences? Yeah. Yeah. So in the fix and flip side, we've heard of Mayo, right? Not mayonnaise, but maximum allowable offer, right? 65% of ARV minus repair costs or minus money costs, right? Mm-hmm. We don't go off of ARV. ARV doesn't exist in the note space because we're on as is, you know, there's, as no, is there's no repairs. You're not doing that. Or there could well, be, but you're not doing There it. will be, but you, we never, we never go off. Of it. It's, it's going to be 150 when I take the property back. Well, could, you may never take the property back. Right. So it's always about as is. Um, and one of the big things that we look at is I'll take a look at somebody's, the, the banks give us a, a, a spreadsheet or we call it a tape. It's, it's a spreadsheet with all this information, FICO scores, owner's name, you know, uh, social security numbers, when it was the loan was originated, when the last paid date is, value of the property, and then we'll often have 12 or 24 months of payments. And we can see the payment stream of what they've made or didn't make. So the first thing I do is I look to see the occupancy. If it's occupied, I, much more likely for me to get it reperforming. If it's vacant, I usually will kill it immediately. Because if it's a vacant property, now I know I'm going to have to go in and fix it up. I'm not going to have a reperforming note. If it's been vacant longer than six months, the air conditioning and heating units have gone on vacation and the copper goblins have showed up. Okay. <laughs> when you say you kill it, you mean this is not something that you're going to purchase. I just, I just take it off unless yeah. it's in Florida or Texas. Yeah. I like occupied assets. Okay? okay. And then I'll take a look at, okay, the kind of pricing point from the bank. Bank will usually give me some sort of pricing point. So then I'll take my P, my principal and interest payment times 12 and then divide that by whatever the purchase price of the note is plus any back taxes out. And that'll give me a rough ROI in the front end. Now I want my rough ROI to be somewhere uh, north of 20%, usually 20 to 30%. Because that if I'm having to use other people's money, I got some money costs. I got to go from that. Yep. Okay. Definitely. Uh, and that's just a front end. I mean, I can make, I can do due diligence in like on a hundred assets in like five minutes because I'm just, I'll take a hundred, cutting it down to 50, submit my initial bids to the bank. It may be a week. I get it back out of the 50. They may have sold 10 or 20 already. And then you know, I may only agree on 20, but that's 20 better versus just trying to make one, which is what a lot of people do. They look at their account, like, oh, I only got 50 grand in my account. I can only make an offer on this one asset. Well, you, you're, you know, you're only probably have a 10% close ratio on the front end. So if you only make an offer on one and it's gone, then you, you waste all this time. I Me, mean, I like to slap a lot against the wall. I control more. The banks would rather sell 20 notes to one guy versus one note to 20 guys. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it also gives me a bulk discount. And then I can also then, there's no earnest money usually. If I see something wrong with that property, the realtor drives by and it's a crack house, kill it. If I don't like the value, the bank says a value of 80 and my value comes back at 60 and they won't allow me to fade my bid or reduce my bid, we kill it. So that's the beautiful thing about notes is I can make a lot of offers and kill stuff that doesn't make sense. That also gives me time to raise capital and market at the same time too. Versus a traditional fix and flipper who's got to have money relatively quickly close in seven days and, and then go from there. So does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's a, it's, I think it's a lot, it's like I'm drinking from a firing hose a little bit, but I, but I do understand that the, in principle, what you're talking about. Well, just go back and listen to this episode in half speed and it'll be perfect for you. Some people are doing this right now. They're going, I think, uh, um, I think it's good though, because the good thing is on the podcasting game, you can go back and listen to it. And I think, uh, 
I think people should like go back, listen to that t- 10 times if you need to. Cause I know I will, um, in order to, to really comprehend it. There is, so I've got, here's the thing. That's why I started a podcast called the note closer show 650 episodes. I go through a lot of this stuff, you know, a lot of what we talked about that I might make up 20 episodes. Cause I break each little section down in 30 minutes to an hour. Uh, I've got a book that people can download. We'll, I'll give you guys the link for that too. It's a 73 page book. I'm a big believer in talking in layman's terms and making it simple. Absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of people that teach a note business that talk way over people's heads with terms. Look, the note business, it's, you know, if you like movies, I'm sure I'm assuming you guys do. Yes, sir. You, you've watched the big short with, uh, you know, with uh, Steve yep. Carell, go yep. back and watch it again, or the margin call or too big to fail on HBO. Um, you guys are, I think baseball fans a little bit field of yep. dreams. Yep. Field of dreams. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. You that's about it. That's a, well, that, but also, uh, Ray Consuelo was losing the family farm cause he wasn't making mortgage payments and his best friends, investors bought the note and were facing forcing foreclosure. So most people don't know that's a note story. Got it. Very cool. I should call it the notebook. <laughs> yes. So wah, 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 wah. hang on a second. Yeah, we got to- <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. We got to get one of those. We hundred percent have to get one of those. Um, uh, you might've mentioned this already, but just a little short one here. Why, why only Texas and Florida for you? Because I have my teams there and I know those markets like the back of my hand. And that's one thing, never invest in a market that you don't do research in. You know, I buy a lot in Ohio and Michigan and I have really good people up there too. I mean, I've got some rentals in, in Flint and, and Detroit because I fortunately I have good people that neck of the woods. So always know your team. It's, it's, you know, it's still easy to jump on a plane these days and fly somewhere and meet with a realtor and drive around and, and get to know the market. Maybe that's not one of the these most days, but Hey, Southwest is flying cheap, very <laughs> yeah, cheap. That's true. You know what I mean? Where in Ohio? You name it. Uh, I bought stuff in, I, well, here's the thing. I don't buy in Cleveland. Cleveland actually has enacted a, a ordinance where if you're buying a note and foreclose, you've got to bring the property up to current code. That means replacing old windows and a lot of other things. And I don't want to do that, but we almost bought uh, property in Cleveland uh, where we were in Cleveland. I was like, this is, this ain't, this ain't it. Like, hopefully it's not Cleveland Heights because Cleveland has some good neighborhoods and they have some crappy neighborhoods. <laughs> we were, they have we been were, Cleveland Heights. Scott, we were in some war zones in Cleveland, like for sure. I, I, we really, and we just, we were like, oh, this cash flow is $2,000 a month. And we're like, we're never going to fill the property. So it's like it, but. And we're not there to even look at. So here's, here's the thing. Here's a good little thing. We look at, talk about systems. I look at rent rates just to know what the rent, the rent rates are. And anytime the rent rate falls below 500 a month for that unit or that property, it's a, it's a bad, bad place. So like Columbus, Ohio. And I, I learned this from my buddy, Dave Pearchin who runs a big turnkey operation in Columbus. And he says that, says anything below $500, you better go in with a flak jacket. It ain't just on a one gun. It's a two gun alley for the most part. So that's, <laughs> we look at that. So if it fall, rents below 500, we kill it. It's not worth it. We so. have a good friend uh, or who's become a good friend and investor out there. And he does really well in Cleveland and, um, and Columbus. And he buys in areas that he is familiar with. So we went into some areas that Ryan and I were like, we don't want to deal with this and other areas where he thrives. So it's just good to know that, you know, you're in, in um, that area where we know other people too. So, I, I'm not a fan of Chicago. Chicago can, I call it Chirac or Crook County. Okay. Well, there's parts of Philly that are like that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there is, man. That's one of the most important things. If you're not comfortable in the neighborhood walking down, I mean, I've been, I've, I'll buy in Gary, and I've been shot at twice in Gary from knocking on doors before, but there's parts of every city. You got to know it. 
And here's the thing, don't buy a note on a property don't, you don't want to end up owning at some point. Because if you do have to foreclose and take that property back, hey, then you've got an REO that you've got to move at some sort of fashion. Yeah, that's a simple, it's, it's like really good. That's, yeah, that's a great rule of thumb. It's the same thing as like the reason why we didn't buy in Cleveland. It's like yep. if, if we wouldn't feel comfortable living here, how are we going to raise rents? How are we going to hold it as yep. a consistent asset? It's not going to appreciate. All those things, I think it's very similar. To the you don't even want to meet similar. the tenants at some point. You're like, yeah. it's come on. Yeah. So really quick, I know you mentioned um, the 500 dollar threshold uh for checking rents we typically use rentometer.com to check yeah. rents what do you use is that that your go-to i love the boys in boston from rentometer so okay. yeah they're great nice they've actually out there. uh th- you should reach out to them they're always looking for podcast to sponsor too oh i didn't even know they're from boston that's scott dude. you're on yeah. something <laughs> give me a little ding <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just yeah we got some give me some <laughs> i'll take it i'll take whatever i can get <laughs> um that's that's awesome so I know we talked a little bit about um, the why behind notes, right? But I just want to, just to get to know you a little bit more. And we talk about financial independence a lot. Yep. What does financial independence mean to you? And essentially, what are you trying to get out of life? I know you're doing a lot of different things with investing in notes. You're making more money by the day, networking, getting to know people, helping people. Like, Is there a stopping the, point for you? Yeah. Or are you just Oh, yeah. Like, so like, my, if you're listening to podcasts, you can't see my background. It's like a, a picture of a Caribbean beach. At some point, I want to be end up in the Caribbean. You know what I mean? Somewhere sunny, my toes in the sand. I see myself doing podcast episodes in a white linen shirt, sunglasses, <laughs> khaki shorts, you know, and just, that's what I look at. I, you know, I, I'm a workaholic. I don't think I'll ever stop working. I think when you get in real estate, you never retire. I think that's the biggest thing, you know? And so um, as, as markets have changed, my numbers have changed. When I first started off, I wanted to buy a thousand notes and modify a thousand notes. Didn't, didn't think that would be happening. My goal is, and I think financial independence is different for everybody. It comes down to being able to do what you want, when you want. In the, in a, in the, the words of uh, John Goodman from The Gambler, if you got your house paid for and a couple of men in the bank, you got F you money. You can do Absolutely. F off and do what you want. And I think that's what it comes down to. If you own your house and you're comfortable and you've got residual income that covers your expenses and allows for you to live the life that you want, if you want to, you know, screw off for a month and go take a cruise. You know, we, we've done that before. Well, I was going to say, my assumption is that you have surpassed that and are trying to get to a, like the next level of, cause there are levels. Financial there. freedom, I guess. Yeah, As like, a, you independence, financial independence. Is, independence is one thing, right? Yeah. Your expenses. Freedom is the beyond FU. the FU or yeah. It's just like, I, you know, you don't have to show up anywhere that you don't want to show up at any time. You can sleep till whenever, not that you would, yeah. but all of that. And that's the level. I mean, here's the thing that frustrates me about 2020. I love traveling. We love taking trips. We love going to Europe. We love cruises. You know, we've not been able to do that this year. You know, usually I'm traveling 30 to 50 times a year when I'm speaking or helping people or having fun. Right. And that's, not, that's been the thing. So my cooking has increased. My gardening skills have gotten a lot better being here. Sour tomatoes. Nice. <laughs> very nice. Good, very Looking nice. right. Yeah, they are. Um, <laughs> gotta love the Romas. Gotta love the Romas and the bell peppers. But anyway, when it comes, everybody's got a different. If it's leaving the job you hate and it's, it takes you five grand a month to, to set that up, that could be financial independence. I think what I love about the note business is it's kind of, if you, you can re- engineer your retirement account. I mean, you've all heard, you know, like bankers and financial years will say, Oh, you need to have 4 million in the bank to retire, making 8% return to survive or whatever that number is. Right. Well, I've always looked at it as notes. Well, I don't need to put 2 million in the bank just to sit there. If I have 10 notes bringing in 500 bucks a month on average, that's five grand. That's, that's a 60 grand a year income 
residually, whether I wake up or don't wake up today. You know what I mean? And so that's the way I've always looked at it. I don't have to do any work. If once I get them reperforming, most of the time they're going to pay unless some sort of crazy pandemic or something weird happens, but you're going to have some people pay off and then you take that money and go buy a new one. And you, you, it's like, you know, you got to take advantage of when there's hay to be made. You know what I mean? And right now, my next level is we've got a fund that we're putting together to really tackle and buy a lot of smaller balance commercial stuff. We think that's the play in the next space, especially with hotels being hit so hard with pandemic, there's a lot of discounts taking place. And uh, I think our goal is to buy a couple of these and turn them into short term rentals by buying okay. the debt at a discount, working with the operator to turn it around and either take over the property and manage it that way, or just, you know, we buy it cheap enough that we can have the existing borrowers kind of get back on their feet and then resell it off in a couple of years after it's retrenchified. So I have two for you. One, you keep saying our is, do you have a team that you work with? Like a partner that you invest with? I call myself, me, my significant other, you can't, you, you know, Stephanie Goodman is my VP of operations. My significant, you know, I could not do what I do without her keeping me out of trouble. And then I say, that's why I say ours. And then they, I don't have kids that I know of. We've got the four. It's your legacy time. hour. I get it. You, yeah. yeah, yeah. Say yeah no exactly. more. Um, that's awesome. I'm not sure if you know the answer to this, but you did mention in this, I'm, I'm not trying to jump way back, but you mentioned people redirect their IRA and redirect their retirement accounts into notes and, and honestly properties, mortgages, et cetera. Yeah. Say this is a hypothetical example. Just let me know your thoughts. Say someone has a hundred grand in their retirement account, 401k. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you suggest they continue investing five, 6% of their annual, um, I guess, cash flow into that retirement account based on what you were discussing before? Or do you suggest they redirect that into notes or a, another type of investment to diversify a little bit more? So my ex-financial advisor in me tells will tell you, if your company is matching dollar for dollar or any percent, put that much in to max out your 401k. That's free money. So if they yep. match you, you know, a dollar for dollar to 3%, be putting 3% in. Okay. Um, because that's free money. You, you wouldn't get otherwise. All right. Now if yep. it, I wouldn't go above what they match because it's um, you're being, you know, it's with your 401k, you know, it's, it's pre-tax. You're going to have to pay tax on it. So it'd be make more sense for you not to put extra in and take and start a, a Roth IRA, you know, three, you know, 250 or six grand a year into a self-directed Roth IRA that's tax-free because it's paid with money that's post-tax, you know, money flipped over your paycheck. Right. And then you can use that Roth IRA to buy a note at 10 grand, get reperforming and sell it for 40 grand, that 30 grand in profits, all tax-free growth. So everybody should have an IRA. If you've got a 401 great, there's a new provision out there though, that they do allow you if you've got a 401k, you could actually, I think, pull up to 50% of your 401k and invest it in real estate or roll it into a traditional IRA, like a, with a self-directed IRA custodian like Mid-Atlantic or Quest IRA or Equity Trust or anything like that. Penalty free? That to, yeah, because it's a transferring kind. So, yeah, no, no penalty. And then you're just going to be taxed on it, whether it's a, a traditional or it's uh, pre-tax or if it's a Roth where it's post-tax. Now, a lot, a lot of people are taking um, their traditional IRAs and they're converting it to a Roth IRA and just paying, paying the penalty on the front end because it's a smaller amount. Like if I'm going to take 50 grand and convert it to a Roth, then I would pay like a 20% penalty. So down the line. Grand. But then all the profit I make is tax-free. Right. You know and what I mean? Essentially, you, you know you're going to be in a higher tax bracket down the line, so you do it up front. Yeah, so exactly. Right. Exactly. Cool. Wow. So it sounds like, 
if you want to learn about notes and I want, I want to learn. I mean, I think like we were saying, I, we have a good niche going. We're about to have but, a book coming. But yeah, I mean, if you want to learn about notes, Scott is your guy. So you already plugged the, the podcast. Where else can people find you? Like just in terms of not get, gaining knowledge about notes. So really easy. If you go to our, our main websites, we close notes.com and we've got a tremendous amount there. I teach classes on a regular basis. Once a month, I teach a one day class called note weekend. It's 49 bucks. Uh, your listeners, how about we do this? If they use the code juice, I'll cut it in half to 50% off. How's that sound? You're the second person to use the code wow. juice. Let's go. That's great. Love That's that. awesome. Okay. Thank you. So yeah, no, we, it's a one day class. It's me teaching it live. The replays are included, but it's like nine hours of how to find fun and flip notes. We talk about, it's like the cliff notes of note investing as my students call it, but the website, we You'll find our podcast there. You'll find our classes and, and all sorts of resources to help you really learn more than anything else. And then we've got about 2000 videos on YouTube if you want to go there and learn as well. Excellent. And you did mention your book. Um, it's a, what's a, what's the title? How to buy real estate at 40% off, how to tap into the world of note investing. If you go to noteblueprint.com slash free book, you can download the 73 page book. It's an easy read. I call it a, a bathroom book because you can sit there in one sitting if you need to. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't love a good bathroom book? <laughs> Come on. Everyone does. Who that. doesn't love a good bathroom book? Yeah. Scott, you hit us with a lot today, yeah. to say the least. Um, I think your analogy was perfect. I feel like you're drinking out of a fire hose. A little bit, just because if it's new to you, it sounds like yeah. this was this was the opening to what is note investing, the high level. This is what it does. This is what it can do for you. And then if you want to take the next step, Scott's your guy, like period. 100%. Right? It's a perfect yep. segue into checking out all of his essentially educational platforms. Yep. And, and notes is not for everybody. I'm going to be the first one to tell you notes is not for everybody. Some people, yeah. Hey, you're more comfortable at bird dogging or wholesale and or fix the Here's the thing. If you can qualify, one of the big things, if you can qualify for an FHL and go buy a fourplex and BRR that or buy a fourplex and live and rent it out, that's a great way for wealth to do. If you're a VA using a VA loan to do the same thing, there's so many ways to do investing. Just, take the opportunity and go do something, everybody out there. Um, and you guys are doing such a great job with the podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this, do me a favor, go on over and hit the subscribe button and make sure you leave a five-star review for what these guys are doing. <laughs> all right. That is our it's guy, important. man. That is great. I, and you're so right. Well, before we leave a review. Yes, you're, I'm right. Leave the review. Oh, that, yeah, that's true. No. Smash that subscribe button. Yeah, smash it. <laughs> um, we, but you're so right. Before we knew about real estate, we weren't good at what we do now. So yeah. whether I say we're drinking from firing hose or not, it all takes that education up front. I don't yeah. know if I like note investing. I don't know enough about it yet to decide. It sounds really intriguing though. I think that's what other people are thinking. I don't know. If you knew from this podcast, then you probably already knew about note investing before because it, it's going to take that that runway of time for people to understand what the hell it's, it's it, Exactly. It is different. Um, the best thing you can do is, as new real estate investors is go join your local RIA club, your local meetup groups, and, and network with people there. There are uh, Note investing is a much smaller niche of people out there. I mean, uh, there's a guy in, in Philadelphia, Dave Van Horn, who runs a fund of their PPR um, there's some other people up in the neck of the woods that we've worked with that are note investors and look, just go to, go Google note investing. There's a lot of information on the, sink your teeth into it. Never buy something without getting educated first. And, uh, that's the most important thing. I've seen people buy a note cause they thought they were doing something right. And they, they overpaid or bought something that they didn't own at all. So get educated and learn and, and go from there. Last drop. Yeah, let's do it. You kind of already 
kind of already did it, but let's let's throw it at him. It can be a little selfish. It's all right. Yeah. So you want to uh, take it away? Yeah. Last segment of the show is called the last drop. You're already, I mean, you've squeezed all the juice out, but we do have one more. We do have one last drop. And what we, what we typically ask is for our, um, our guest to give our listeners a tool, an app, uh, some sort of, maybe a book would be good, um, f- for this episode. Essentially a resource. A resource that they can take away if they want to get into node investing, you have, you have Scott is your guy for that, but it may be, there's something that got you started before you became the, the, uh, per, the educator. So the common book, I think a lot of people will say is rich dad, poor dad, which is a great book. Uh, it's great. Robert Kiyosaki had a chance to meet him. And then the co-author is a lady by the name of Sharon Lecter. who's phenomenal. Okay? okay. Sharon, uh, rewrote a book by the Napoleon Hill foundation. You probably heard of think and grow rich, right? Yes. Another great book you had to read. But Napoleon Hill wrote a book uh, in 1938 called Outwitting the Devil, where it was basically him having a conversation with the devil about how the devil is so successful at keeping people from achieving results. And part of what the devil says in the book is that he distracts us. He allows us to drift. He throws distraction at us, you know, shiny object syndrome, the squirrel syndrome that keeps us from being focused. And so uh, the Napoleon Hill Foundation gave the manuscript to Sharon back a few years ago. She didn't really rewrite it. She kept the book pretty much the same and it added inserts of what she thought Napoleon Hill would think of in today's world. So Outwitting the Devil, it is one of my top three or four books. It talks about the focus. If you really want to be successful in life, don't drift. But be very focused. Learn to say no and you'll be a lot more successful instead of saying yes to everything. And that has probably been one of the most impactful books in my life because I found when I did say no, I, I was able to be a lot more focused. I found success a whole lot faster instead of watering down my message or my actions. And I think that's, that's really what everybody needs to, to do. The same thing in the note business. I don't, I, I've squeezed down. So I know my focus of what exactly I'm looking for versus trying to make everything fit into my, my investment strategy. And that's not the case in any type of strategy out there. So I agree. I think if you spread yourself too thin, you'll find yourself being, Maybe you're mediocre at all the thi- at at all these things, and even if you get to the mediocre level, that means that you're you're okay. And like, if you want to be really good at one thing, again, there's so many ways to make money in real estate. Yeah, focus on maybe notes is your thing. So, cool, perfect. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? I don't know where you're most active. If it's social media, you just uh, you know, or if, whatever information you'd like to give out. It's it's easy. If people want to connect with me and pick my brain, I'm always glad to do that. You can always go to talkwithscottcarson.com. That'll get you right in my calendar. Pick a 30 minute spot, and I'm always oh. glad to talk notes and real estate or podcasting with anybody out there. So talkwithscottcarson.com is a way to connect with me the easiest way. Perfect. And I will just plug the Instagram pages that he has as well. So you can find the Note Closers Show podcast at Note Closers. And if you want to find Scott, you can find him at one Scott Carson at one Scott Carson at one Scott Carson, Instagram, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. So, and Instagram. <laughs> and Instagram. <laughs> yeah. um, beautiful, man. Thank you so much for coming on. You have shifted, like you put something in my head that says, I got to at least check this out and, and, and say, what, what does what broaden our horizons for exactly. sure. Definitely. I think it's definitely an avenue we can, we can, discuss and think about pursuing it. I'm super intrigued. So yeah. Scott, thank you for uh, dropping some thank knowledge you on us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Same here guys. Looking forward to have you guys on my show.